From Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Thanks for inviting me into your home, long-haul truck, RV, camper, taxi. Your parents' well-appointed rec room with the simulated wood paneling, electric fireplace, and the painting of the dogs playing poker. Your loft, that greasy spoon just off the interstate, and your cabin in the woods. I want to remind you once again to get on up to my website, strangeplanet.ca. If you haven't been there in a while, it's been completely redesigned. There are some cool comic book style illustrations of me, courtesy of artist illustrator Rick Forgus. And I want you to take a minute and fill in your email address once you're prompted to do so. And once you're registered, you'll receive my new monthly newsletter, which launches later this month. Plus, you'll have a chance to win some really cool Strange Planet merchandise, like t-shirts, mugs, tote bags, phone cases, hoodies, etc. So, please, once you go to the website, strangeplanet.ca, a little box will pop up. Just enter your email address and you'll get the newsletter once a month in your inbox for free. I think you're really going to enjoy it. This hour, Natasha Rosewood is with us to discuss her amazing psychic adventures. Natasha is a gifted psychic, spiritual healer, medium, past life regression therapist, Ghostbuster, and she's the author of Ah, I Think I'm Psychic, and Ah, I Thought You Were Dead, and Mostly True Ghost Stories. I want to move things over to another uh, area, and that's reincarnation. And you talk about among your past lives, you were a gypsy. Tell me about your life as a gypsy. Well, I just feel that I, and in this lifetime, I've always wanted to move around. And I actually, thanks to my father, I ended up going to eight schools. So it felt very comfortable for me to do that. And then when I grew up, I needed to travel, and I was never really uh, could ever settle in one place. And I used to think that was a bit of a curse, actually. But now it's made my life very interesting. Uh, plus the palmistry thing. I mean, it just all fit. And I've always had this fascination with Russia as well. And I wonder if I was a Russian gypsy in my past life. Um, I've got a little bit of a story, if I've got some time. Oh, yes. Yes. Uh, Okay. My my husband and I went to Calgary and I used to do uh, talks out of uh, Divine Mind in Southeast Calgary, a beautiful bookstore. And these two ladies came in first and I think the I was doing a talk on manifestation and one of these ladies said she was a psychic and she looked at Lorne and I and she said oh you two were together in a past life and I see you in this wagon and you were sitting in the back of the wagon and you were the you were the fortune teller and he was the driver and he would take you anywhere you wanted to go and I said well he's doing that in this lifetime but the funny thing is she said oh yeah he's got this white hair and it's got a little ponytail at the back and you used to just always see his ponytail and when I first met my husband I said to him which was out of character for me too I said why don't you grow your hair and wear it in a ponytail it would really suit you and he looked at me like I had three heads he said no I'm not doing that (laughs) and it was really interesting. I went, wow. So maybe, and it, when we met, we felt right from the get-go so comfortable, and we both travel. People are always saying, are you home, Natasha, or are you going away again? Where are you going to be? So we're gypsies still to this day, which I find very interesting. Now, did you, though, confirm this previous life through a, a past life regression, or was it just a hunch? I didn't, I, I didn't confirm that one. I've done about 15 other regressions. Uh, 
where I have gone back to other lifetimes. And so I was actually this very short little man down in Buenos Aires, um, sorry, in Argentina, in the forests of Argentina in the 700s. And I was a chief of a tribe and I was a kindly man. But somebody had come and warned me that uh, the tribe was going to be ambushed and I ignored them. And then the tribe were ambushed and most of them died. And so actually I felt a huge guilt about that, which I brought forward to this lifetime. And because of that, I had kind of, um, what do I want to say, resisted becoming this psychic. I think that was part of my resistance because I didn't want to have the responsibility of other people's lives in my hands. And I had didn't feel confident in it and so I felt like I come back to this lifetime to heal that and get over it and just do the work anyway. And so after experiencing that previous life as this this tribal chief in what is now Argentina, did, mm-hmm. did, did that experience remove all of the guilt? I think it made me understand it. It made a lot it helped me make sense of why certain things had happened in my life and plus the other past lives I've done as well. I think I've been in positions of power in my past life. I've had a lot of lifetimes as a male and I've been wealthy and I've been very um, uncompassionate. So I think what what I learned from those lifetimes was that this time I had to come back and really uh, be compassionate and it's almost like right use of will, like having the power but using it wisely. So I've been very, very cautious in how I do use my abilities and make sure that I first do no harm. That's my first rule of thumb. Do you do past life regression therapy for other people? I certainly do. Okay. And, and that for me, Richard, is kind of the lead into the quantum healing because I've been doing it now probably for about 15 20 years and I would say 15 years and I've had great success and there was one lady for example she actually came to me for a reading she wasn't looking for a past life regression in the first instance and I asked her do you have I feel like a, a horrible pain in the right hip and psychically I saw this arrow sticking out of a hip and I said she said, oh, yes, I've had, I've had this pain a while. I said, how far does it go back? She said, as far as I can remember. And for me, if somebody has a lifelong issue, it's definitely something they, they came in with from a past life. So I said, I feel this is a past life thing and we can remove the arrow if you'd be willing to do a past life aggression. So she came two days later, an hour and a half later, we went through this story where she had actually betrayed her own tribe and caused or organized an ambush on them. And then when it started happening, she started to feel like really guilty and she didn't want it to happen and she felt terrible remorse and she got this arrow in the hip and the arrow represented her guilt. So what we did, while she was still in the regression, we gathered all the spirits that would have died in that place at that time, put them in a circle and we turned the arrow into a peace pipe and we passed it around and said, everybody is forgiven, all is, all is learnt, all the gifts are taken from this experience, all is now forgiven. So all the spirits can now move forward in peace. 
And then she came out of this regression and two days later her girlfriend called and said, I don't know what you did to my friend Natasha, but she's leaping off cliffs and going for hikes with her husband and she's got no pain at all. Remarkable. So it can instant, it's an instant, it can be an instant shift if the person is ready to release it instantly. How many regressions have you done? Oh gosh. Oh, I want to say thousands. I would probably say on average I do maybe four a month. Um, I don't know what that adds up to, but maybe more. Um, I, I've done group regressions as well sometimes. Um, but, you know, I always find that they are very dynamic because a person can go to a counselor, and I love counselors and I love psychologists, don't get me wrong here, but unless that counselor or psychologist is willing to go beyond this life, they can't access the root of the pain. And what past lives do is allow me, or the client allows me, uh, to lead them to a place where they then see their own lifetimes. I'm not telling them what they're seeing, they're telling me, like they're watching an old movie in which they've been the star. And I get them to go forward to a significant event that had a major impact on them and I ask them what's happening and when they tell me we look at the the tragedy and the trauma of it but then while they're still in that state in that um, I want to say alpha state they might be in a deeper state than that sometimes they, we turn it into what was the gift of that and why if you were the movie director of that movie why did you create that event why did you create that cast of characters what was your motivation in having that event happen, what was the gift in it? So once they get the gift and they realize that they created it, they are then re-empowered because they're not victims of it. They're actually um, instigators of it. And when they come back out and then we do a debriefing after the past life and make sure that they understand everything and who was who was from this lifetime could have been in that past lifetime and still working out the healing, um, then they're empowered, they're validated for their pain, um, they've forgiven a lot of their guilt, they've forgiven the other person, they've understood the reason for the event, they've taken the gift and they're empowered to move forward with it. And it just dissolves the, any resistance or pain that's going on in the spirit, soul or the body. What's the most, let's say, shocking incident you've witnessed during a past life regression? Oh, gosh. Um, It's in my second book, I believe, and it was this lady who came to me, and I had met her before, and she had such a look of fierce anger in her eyes. I asked her if she could relate to where that came from. And she said no, and I said, would you be interested in doing a past life regression? When we did the regression, it turned out that she had been the daughter of a king in Sweden, somewhere in Scandinavia, she said Sweden, and that uh, he had punished her for having an affair with a friend of his, and she was down in the basement of that castle where all these rats were, and she was absolutely phobic about rats. And she was chained to this wall, and I wasn't sure whether, and even she wasn't sure whether the rats, she imagined the rats eating her, like attacking her. Oh, good Lord. I know, or whether she was just afraid of that. But 
Sometimes fear and the imagination of the event can be the same thing. It can produce the same level of fear and adrenaline. And when I'm in a regression with people, they're telling me what they're seeing, but psychically I'm also with them. So I'm seeing it as well. I'm experiencing it as well. So it can be very, very brutal sometimes. And I'm, I'm not even going to tell you uh, what what her, her real punishment was for because I just can't. <laughs> I don't want that to be in anybody's minds. But suffice it to say, you know, we've come a long way. There's still a lot of very brutal people on the planet, absolutely. But we've come a long way in civilizing ourselves. Um, but a lot of these past life aggressions go back to these very brutal times where there was absolutely no compassion. It was almost sadistic. So, yeah, do you it think, wasn't very pleasant. Do you, do you believe that, that most phobias that people have, you mentioned rats, are most yes. phobias rooted in a, in a previous life experience? They can be, and they can be from, be from this, they can be associated with the trauma in this lifetime as well. So I don't cut out anything, I just let the client guide me as to when and where what happened. But I, I think often, Richard, we can get the healing if we know what are the right questions to ask of ourselves and to go deep within and then listen to the answers. Um, so I think what happens when people come to me, I'm kind of holding their hand as they go through this experience and I'm guiding them through through the trauma and out the other side and finishing off the trauma. I have a, it's not, I don't know, it's not a, a phobia that I have. It's just, um, I have great discomfort when I see someone's fingers sort of being bent backwards even and my kids now they tease and taunt me with this where they'll they'll show me you know their their fingers sort of bending backwards and I don't my, my wife is always saying the next time you speak with somebody a uh, past life regression therapist or someone a psychic ask them what that might be about any idea I mean well you know what I yeah I do get something instantly actually Richard I want to say I get torture. Um, I want to say in a London castle, I don't know if it was a Tower of London, I'm not going to say it was that, but it feels like you were tortured. And have you ever had any sense of being living through the Spanish Inquisition? No, no. Okay, because it feels like they, they were trying to get information out of you. Hmm. And... Um, I think you were, I think you knew some things, but you didn't know everything they were asking. And so that was kind of very scary for you because you couldn't have given them what they wanted anyway. And I'm not too sure if your hands were, your fingers were broken in that way. Um, it feels like you, they could have been. Um, but like I say, the fear of something happened or the imagination of something happened can be the same as, of, as if it happened to you. And the memory can trick you that way. Right, right. Sometimes. Does that resonate at all with you? Well, um, I'll be, I mean, I'll, I'll be honest, I've, and I've always put my biases on the table when I'm talking about this. I, I don't personally subscribe to reincarnation. I mean, I could be wrong okay. and I could be in for a rude awakening, but I've witnessed my old TV show. We did some past life regression work on live not live but on in studio and on the on the on the TV show and I've witnessed a number of them and they are I mean something is definitely going on there the the, the people that are experiencing 
whatever it is, uh, a, a shared memory, the, their uh, their own past life. I don't know what what to tell you, but it it's it seems very genuine to me. Um, however, um, yeah, for yeah, me, yeah, and I know, I, I, yeah, sorry, I I can jump in there, and I do say this sometimes to my clients. You know, maybe I'm crazy and there's no such thing as past lives. But when I ask your mind a question when you're in a certain relaxed state and your mind spews up this picture, maybe it's an allegory or a metaphor or something else that happened. Just like somebody might be afraid of uh, birds, but really what they're afraid of, it triggers a childhood memory of um, there being a fire in, in, their, in their farm and all the birds flew out of the, the window. Right. right, right. So the mind is, like I say, it, the fear can really um, have you manufacture memories, but often what I get out of the past life regression is a result for the client. So it doesn't really matter whether it's a past life or they made it up or, you know, and I do say to clients, it's okay. You know, even if you think you're making it up, your mind's showing you something that's going to help you to pass through this tremendous wall of fear and and heal what's gone on before for you. It's going to heal an emotion that's currently causing you to not be happy and to block your success or to never let you have a good relationship with this particular person. So it doesn't really matter in that sense, but when I'm in there and I'm seeing it, I'm feeling it, it's very, very real to me. And so, and I don't tell the client what I'm seeing. I let them tell me. And I just go, yeah, that's exactly what I got. And it's kind of interesting because I'll say to the client, um, you know, you're seven years old. Where are you? You know, look at your skin. What color, what are you wearing? And, um, they'll tell me and I say, are you alone or with other people? And they say, oh, I'm alone. And I say, well, you know, just take another look. Are you really alone? You know, or, because I can feel other people around them. So I'm, I'm having the experience with them. So it's two of us having the same experience without talking about it. Amazing, amazing. Uh, yeah, I, I, I agree. I think the, I think the brain is an, is a movie making, uh, machine. And whether, as you say, whether it is a, a metaphor that's being produced by the mind or whether it's real, the point is, it, it, it seems to work. And I've heard this time and time again from past life regression therapists. It doesn't matter if you, if you believe in reincarnation. Just going through the process, however it works, it works. Yes. Yes. And, and quickly too. Quickly. Right, right. I always joke, you know, you're going to put the psychoanalysts out of work. I mean, people, uh, they're in, in analysis for, for decades sometimes. I know. Well, I want to put, I, I always joke about this, I want to put myself out of work as a psychic because in past life aggressions and quantum healing, I'm actually asking the client to choose the reality that they would prefer for themselves, not what I tell them. But when they do come to me for a psychic reading, I am able to see this other dimension and other rea- reality, you know, like I say, looking down the vibrations <laughs> into the future and seeing what they're creating with their mind, saying this is possible. And when clients don't believe that that's possible, I say, well, you need to get into that frequency, that same frequency, so that you can, because like attracts like in physics, 
we have to be in the same frequency if we want to ex- have that experience of that joy. So what I'm doing in the quantum healing is taking people from their lower kind of disempowered frequency to a much higher one where they can have that more positive experience of themselves. We've got about 40 seconds here. I just want to get your take on deja vu and whether deja vu might be related to reincarnation. It could be, but I don't think so. I think it could be the interruption of the feed to the brain. It could be. It could be a dream sequence. I think it's something we dreamed before because 80% of our dreams are precognitive. Oh, that's interesting. 80%. Yes. Well, yes. let's, there's something that we can uh, pick up on uh, when we come back. Natasha Rosewood, my guest, and we'll be right back. Don't go away. Peering into the shadows where the truth often hides. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett. Natasha Rosewood stays with us. Natasha, first, before we proceed, uh, give us a a website and and some contact information if people want to get a hold of you. Yes, thank you, Richard. My website is natasharosewood.com. And my email is natasha at natasharosewood.com. And clients can book a quantum healing, past life regression, psychic reading, ghost busting, and intuitive coaching through the website. Now, uh, just as the uh, the last break was, uh, or the last segment was winding down, you mentioned that, that 80% of our dreams are precognitive. Let's talk about that. How do we know 80% are precognitive? Is there data? Well, according to Tony Cresp, who wrote a book on dream interpretation, um, he says that 75 to 80% of our dreams are precognitive. So actually, I started uh, working with my dreams in earnest, and I started to experience that uh, what I was dreaming, a lot of that was I was dreaming of uh, places and people and uh, conversational sequences a week or two weeks before they actually occurred. So I'm not going to say yes definitively that 80% of our dreams are precognitive, but it's a very, very high percentage. And this to me makes sense because if we are intuitive psychic beings, we are already sensing and feeling what's coming down the pipe. We're like really animals in the jungle sensing with our um, whatever it is that animals have, uh, but we, we've, it's like we've got antennae coming out of our pores and we're picking up on all the energy that's flying around, all the electromagnetic waves, all the vibrations that are flying around and we're picking up um, on like energy. So whatever frequency we're vibrating at, we're probably going to pick up on a similar wave. So it's like tuning into your TV and if you like CNN and you're skipping forward to see what's going to be on next week, I think that's what we've got going on. And I think deja vu is something where we've dreamed a sequence and then we see it in the actual physical reality. Oh, that's interesting. Um, this idea that, you know, our dreams are precognitive, the best way, I guess, for us to test that, and, and, and I've always meant to do this and I've never gotten around to it, is to start keeping a dream journal. Like, keep track of your dreams so that you can actually test, you know, to see what happens. Well, that's what I did. And I, I had at least, um, I think over a two-week period, I had at least three dreams. 
um, where they came true. The building I walked into the week later, the conversation I had with a roommate two weeks later, and it was spooky. <laughs> and it, it's the same feeling that I feel when I see an event in a client's life and they come back and I, I see it in front of me, unfolding in front of me. It's a it's feeling of deja vu. It's that same feeling uh, of seeing it, having seen it in another dimension and then seeing it in the physical realm. Are, are precognitive dreams the same as visions? Um, not entirely. Like precognitive, I think, can be just our personal lives, our little sequences that we go through. Um, but precognitive dreams absolutely can be visions as well. Uh, I used to have a girlfriend uh, who was also a flight attendant, and she used to say, oh, yes, I think there's going to be a plane crash with 53 people on board. And it's like, no, I don't want to know. Don't tell me, please. Um, and she had a few that she saw before they actually happened. And I had vision, a conscious vision of um, 9-11 back in 1986. I saw that there was going to be, I thought it was a bomb on New York. And this was while I was kind of sitting looking out the window and it just came to me and I felt like the tops of the buildings. I couldn't understand it because I saw the tops of the buildings on fire. And I thought, well, it's not a conventional bomb and it's not an atomic bomb. But I knew that it had some kind of Arabic connection and that um, it was just very localized in New York. So I think that's the question I would like to ask Richard is why do some people have visions about airplane crashes or some people have visions about car crashes or what? Ever else it is. Why is it a specific thing? And the only thing I can think of is that like energy attracts like energy. So because my girlfriend was a flight attendant, she thought about that a lot and that's why she attracted those visions. Ah, right, right. And, and can, in the, in the, in the same way that you can teach people to become more intuitive, can you teach people to have precognitive dreams? Or is there anything that we can do to enhance our ability to have precognitive dreams, some sort of a, a ritual before sleep? Well, I think you said it. I think taking your dreams seriously, a lot of people say, oh, it's just a crazy dream. Well, our dreams are like a little jigsaw puzzle and all the pieces have been thrown up in the air and uh, not put together, so we think they're fragmented. So if you do write a dream journal and you give more focus and attention to your dreams, you tell yourself just before you go to sleep at night, I'm remembering my dreams when I wake up in the morning. Some people who want to be more serious can actually set an alarm during the REM, the rapid eye movement phase between, I think it's between two and four in the morning and wake yourself up and write down the dream at that time. The more you get into your dreams, the more the, more, the easier it becomes to remember them. And the more you start working with your own dream symbols, the much more meaning you'll get out of them as well. Let's talk a little bit about uh, dream symbols because you, you analyze dreams. I do. Now, are there universal uh, symbols in dreams or are they all individual? Well, there are archetypal symbols. So Carl Jung was very big on um, 
uh, archetypal symbols. I think he actually coined the phrase. So things like um, a, if you dream of a baby, you might be not necessarily getting pregnant, but you might be dreaming of starting a new project or having a new life. Um, your house, if you dream of a house, that often represents the outer self or how you feel about you at the time. So if, in your, if, if you're in a big old messy house that's dirty and you're not feeling very good about yourself or your body or your your immediate vicinity, your immediate environment. Um, but what I encourage people to do is learn the archetypal symbols because they're definitely very helpful. But also write down your own um, dream dictionary because Freud would say that snakes are you're dreaming about sex, but some people love snakes, some people hate snakes, and they can mean different things to different people. So it's good to take the arch- archetypal symbol and then your own symbol. What does that mean to you? And just put those together in a kind of a picture, like a jigsaw puzzle, and just see what leaps out at you. And give the name, give the dream a name, because sometimes when you give the dream a title, it's the title of it is the main meaning of it. So if you dream that you're walking through a graveyard and all the graves start opening up, God forbid, and uh, you would call it the graveyard. Right, right. Yeah, right. So, uh, and just remember, even if you remember just one thing, write that thing down and then sometimes dreams come back to us later on and keep adding to that. Leave it in the dream journal for a week, two weeks, a month, and then go back. And once you read it back, once you've had some distance from the dream, it might just really become very clear to you what that was about. And if it was precognitive, that event might have happened. For years, I I dreamt of. Occasionally, it still happens. Not very often, but for there was a period of time when I would have dreams where I was losing my teeth. I'd be talking, and all of a sudden, my teeth would just start falling out. What is that about? Well, that's supposed to be a very common dream, Richard, and it's about losing face. It's about the fear of losing face or feeling embarrassed about something. You know, some people dream about standing up naked in front of a crowd and mm-hmm. giving a speech. That's that's a very similar one. But it's the fear of not having, not being good enough. You know, we all have this subconscious belief that we're not good enough in some way or another. And so when we're feeling particularly vulnerable to that and we're presented with a challenge, maybe we have to give a presentation or we're buying, getting a getting a mortgage for our house or, you know, doing a radio show, that that those dreams can kind of come to the surface and just tell us that it's just telling us that we need to really re-empower ourselves. When you dream of a dead relative, uh, is that a metaphor or are, are they actually coming to visit you? Well, there's different levels of that. Uh, what I say to my clients is how real was that because some – people from the spirit realm will use the dream state as a way to communicate with their loved ones who are still living. Sometimes it's a phone call. Sometimes they'll dream that they're in the same room. Um, I lost a fiancé and and I could tell that I would dream about him sometimes and then sometimes he was in my dream. And I felt at that time he was coming to communicate me communicate with me and at that time those dreams were far more lucid they were they felt really real and i think you can tell from the quality of the dream whether you're just dreaming about the person or whether they're actually showing up to give you a message 
We'll take another time out, come back, more of my conversation with Natasha Rosewood. Don't go away. It is time to redefine reality. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Natasha Rosewood stays with us. I want to talk about your mediumship. How does it work for you? Do you hear the voice of the spirit? Do you see dead people? Do you receive mental images? How does it work? I think a bit of everything. I would say that I see the person as they present themselves to me in as much a physical form as they can in my mind's eye. And I'll often hear their voice or words or names. Sometimes I'll get a smell like a tobacco smell or a perfume smell. They'll often show me something that identifies them with the person that I'm reading. Say I've got Rosemary who's come to me for a reading and I'll say, oh, I've got this older lady here and she feels like grandmother energy and she's saying the name Cookie Coo or something like that. Was, was that her nickname for you? when you were a child. So there'll be something that's very personal that can be identified, but not always. Spirits show up in all ways, shapes and forms. Sometimes my client doesn't recognize who I'm talking about at the time. Then they might come back later and say, oh my God, Natasha, and now I know who that is. Sometimes spirits who are lost souls, who have attached themselves to my clients, don't belong to them. They're not, they don't have a family connection. They're not their spirit guides or angels. You know, we'll sit and talk about that. And those spirits have attached to my clients because they like them or there's something similar that they need to experience together or learn from one another. When I do group, you know, I do like a John Edwards things and I go around the group, I just feel like sometimes the person, the spirit, is standing kind of by the left shoulder of the person I'm going to be reading and giving me the information. So that's very useful. Okay. You mentioned John Edward, and I I don't want to put you on the spot here if you don't feel comfortable answering this, but let's face it, there are a lot of frauds out there. What are your thoughts on someone like John Edward or the Long Island medium? When you watch them work, what do you think? Well... (laughs) When I first saw John Edward, I really liked him and what some other people said to me, oh, is he for real? And when I'm talking with spirit, because they're vibrating at a high frequency, I'm often like, you know, the energy gets really fast. And I noticed that with him too. And I feel that I don't know if he uses other aids to help him with what he does, but I feel when I saw him years ago when he first started doing his show, I felt that was for real. I think Teresa, I've watched her a couple of times. What I did enjoy about Teresa was her compassion. I felt that she was quite compassionate and where I have encountered some psychics and spirit mediums who are not very kind in the delivery of their information. And that's where I had the issue. I said, you can be a great psychic, but if you're not compassionate that's where I have the issue and when I've watched her work it makes sense to me because I pick up very very similar stuff it's like if you know there's been an upset I just had a story the other day where a parent had died and there was a contest over the will and her will had not been respected and she told me she was literally hopping mad and I saw her jumping up and down and I heard the words hopping mad and so I communicated that to the daughter who had tried to keep her mother's wishes 
tried to obey her mother's wishes. And so I just passed on the message that this needs to be healed in this family. And the mother's also upset because it's caused such a rift in the family. So, you know, when I watch those mediums, I am looking for their verbiage and what they're picking up and not saying it has to be exactly like I do it at all, but um, it feels very familiar to me what they're doing. Do you ever do you ever see full on apparitions of these people? I have not as yet, but in my mind's eye, there may as well be. I mean, I don't see them showing up in the physical in my office, but I do feel them being very strong. Uh, <laughs> I was sitting here one day and reading a client, and there's like, I said, oh, there's a Viking that just flew in, and it was like, whoosh, and it, it's just a feeling of strong energy, and sometimes they may as well be in the physical, because sometimes they're very, very lively, and I have to say this, some dead people are a lot livelier than some alive people. <laughs> You know, they've got more energy going on. It's fantastic. And uh, there's a lovely story in my second book. I called it the Dead People Party, where I, was, I often go to a person's uh, client's house and she invites her girlfriends and there's six or seven people. And every single person that came in had a spirit that came in and there was some story to go with it. It was quite the night. And one of these spirits was so uh, vital he died in a motorcycle accident, but he was so alive. It was like, whoa. And we were just giggling and laughing, and it took us a while for him to kind of leave the room. You know, I said, okay, you've had your talk now. You've got to go. <laughs> we have to go. We'll, we'll, uh, we'll be right back. More stories from Natasha Rosewood when we continue. <laughs> Show with Richard Sarrett. Natasha Rosewood stays with us. Natasha, before we proceed, uh, give us your contact info and your website again. So my website is natasharosewood.com and my email is natasha at natasharosewood.com and if anybody would like to explore their intuitive ability, um, they can find my books through my website or on Amazon. I'd you, love to hear from you. You grew up in England. Uh, were any of your ancestors, relatives, part of the spiritualist church? Not the spiritualist church. My parents were actually humanists, and they didn't believe in life after death, if you can believe that. But I do know that my mother, as well as being psycho, she was psychic, <laughs> and my grandmother was very <laughs> in tune as well. So um, I think it was definitely... In the family, but like I say, I feel like uh, those of us who are kind of extra gifted, if you want to call it that, have come through some kind of trauma or very precarious upbringing. And I think anybody that's gone through wars and um, hunger and poverty and uh, dysfunctional families, you know, or abusive families, it's going to definitely have a more highly attuned psychic ability than those that didn't. 
and I think that was the case in our family. Hmm. Um, yeah, I've always been uh, captivated by spirit photography, especially from the the Victorian era, the 1920s. People like William Crooks and and um, uh, Ada Dean and William Mumler. Um, what, what, particularly the, the you know these manifestation mediums with ectoplasm, seem, you know, coming pouring out of their mouth or some part of their body. What do you what, what do you what is your take on? Spirit photography. Do you think manifestation mediumship is legit? I absolutely think anything is possible, Richard, with energy, any manifestation of any kind of energy. And I find it interesting because in those days, I think there was a belief that if you were going to conjure up spirit, it had to have some kind of physical form, i.e. ectoplasm or something like that. So I think they were at that time wanting to prove things. But now I think because we're moving into this lighter frequency and vibration and intuition is kind of a leading edge word, I think, and so is quantum healing, that we're more uh, willing to believe in just our senses, sensing things. So, uh, but you know, I have friends who take photographs and there's nothing on the photograph. And when the photograph is developed, there's something there. So I think we're surrounded by lots of mysteries that aren't available to the human eye that absolutely do exist. So I would say my answer to your question is yes, I do think it's real. What do you think ectoplasm is? Well, to me, it's a manifestation of a lower frequency, definitely. To me, I, I always associate ectoplasm with kind of uh, seances of, of a lower vibration. Um, you, we don't need, like, you know, when I want to com- commune with spirit, and it's going to be a good spirit, and it's coming from a place of love and integrity, it's a very, very light vibration. It's a very beautiful vibration. Anything that's kind of spirit and in the physical has to be lower because it's come down and it's literally become matter. It's become, it's, it's manifested itself in matter. And anything of the phys- in the physical realm is lower frequency. So to me, it's, it's a kind of just a demonstration of there's this kind of low, low vibration uh, manifestation there that has its own intention. I'm not sure what it is, but depends on who's inviting it in as well and what their intention is for it. What are some of the more subtle indicators that you may have a spirit in your home, a ghost in your home? Uh, Yeah, Uh, that's a good one. I tend to think that there are spirits in all our homes and they're everywhere, but it doesn't mean to say that there are dead relatives coming back to visit or they, they won't leave. Um, but I think, you know, the spirits exist in a dimension just slightly um, above us and amongst us. So they're not very far away a lot of the time. But if you do have a spirit that really wants to get your attention, I've had one in my home in England and she was a little old lady who she would slam doors um, I'd hear moaning and groaning. The lights would go on and off. Lights, the electrics are very popular because it's easy for spirit to manipulate electricity because they are electrical. And sometimes the radio go on, you know, the TV will go on by itself. 
I always say to people, when people call me and say, I've got a presence in my home and I want it to go, I'll always kind of interview them to find out what is the uh, ferocity of the spirit. Because if, if there's anger there and it's accelerating, um, then it's often somebody that's really very unhappy and needs out and wants help to the other side or to resolve some kind of issue. But if it's just a gentle spirit who, you know, maybe um, blows on your face every now and then or moves your keys from one room to another and is just having fun with you, then you can sense the lightness of the energy as well. So it depends on uh, the... The vibration, if I go into a home and it's really heavy and thick and it's like, oh, um, then I know that there's dense, dense uh, spirit energy in there that probably is kind of dark and will need some help being removed. Does that answer your question? It does. It does. And okay. I, was, I was reading on your website about, you know, potential signs of uh, a ghosts, a ghostly presence. And I was taken aback a little bit because the last couple of days – uh, for no particular reason, I have just been exhausted. I, I mean, I'm busy, but I was driving my, my boys to, uh, they take Greek dancing. I was, I was driving them and I, all of a sudden I had this overwhelming feeling that I was going to fall asleep at the wheel. I w- and I had to really focus to get there. And this has been going on like the last couple of days. All of a sudden this wave comes over me. Okay. And I see on your website where, uh, exhaustion can be a sign. Yes. Well, that can be an attachment. So it can be a spirit that, um, is, this is very different from a possession. I want to be very clear on that. Uh, sometimes an attachment is a spirit that's kind of lingering, that wants to be back in the physical and is using your body in, in a way just to have an experience. He's not going to do anything really bad with you like, like a possession would, but um, it, the first sign can be exhaustion, fatigue, kind of you feel like you have a low-grade flu all the time and it can come and go because the spirit will come and go out of your body sometimes so when it's with you it, it's kind of really sucking on your energy somewhat it's using your life force to to be there um, I'm not saying that's exactly what's going on with you Richard but it might be kind of interesting if you know we, we can do a separate session on this or if you know somebody locally that can just kind of check you out and see if there is um, I want to say a male energy with you um, have you had anybody that has passed away in the last three months that wasn't terribly old the last three months, yeah. oh boy, um, n- nothing is coming to me. I mean, I had I had so many relatives pass. My father was one of ten children; they're all gone. Uh, you know, I have, I have so many relatives on the other side. But the last three months, uh, I, I want to say this wasn't a relative, and it's somebody that you could have met through your work. Um, and he could have been a spirit that was hanging around. Maybe you were doing a show and he was interested and it feels like he's just, he kind of likes you and he wants to hang with you. Hmm. <laughs> but, you know, he's not where he's meant to be. So he shouldn't be in your body. He should be somewhere. <laughs> he should be on the other side. Tell him to go home. Yeah. All Tell right. him to go home. <laughs> All right. 
Well, we have to go home. Uh, it's been a, a delight, Natasha. Uh, again, the website, natasharosewood.com, and uh, people can get a hold of you through the website, as well as uh, order your, can they order your books directly through the website? Yes, they can, because it takes them through the link to Amazon. All right. Mostly true ghost stories. Arg, I think I'm psychic, and Arg, I thought you were dead. Yes. A great pleasure. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you, Richard. Good night. Good night. Okay, that's it for me. My thanks to Owen Wolf and Ryan White. Back next week with ufologists Victor Vigiani and Grant Cameron. In the meantime, don't be afraid. There's nothing concealed that won't be revealed, and nothing hidden that won't be made known. What you hear in the dark, speak in the light. What I say in a whisper, proclaim from the housetops. Move over, Aphrodite. I'm coming home. Good night. <laughs>